podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark baby has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to Macklin's Take, this latest episode with myself Andy Clark and Matt Macklin as always. And today you find us at the Eastside Gym in Birmingham. We're back and we're upstairs and we, we can see our own breath. It's, uh, it's an old school gym this place. And we're back to see John Pegg. By popular demand, we are back to see John Pegg because the first time we spoke to you, John, was back in June time, June, July. Seems like quite a long time ago now. And, and the response to Pegg Part 1 was, was well, it, it broke the internet, quite yeah, frankly. It was, basically, it was, I had to use all one minutes up to do all them texts under different phones. So, yeah, it worked quite well, to be honest. <laughs> People loved it, though. So we were always going to come back uh, just to catch up with you, see what's new in the life and times of... Uh, of Peg J and well I mean the last time I saw you you were with Brett Fido that was at the Copper Box just before Christmas he was in with with Louis Lynn but that was hard work wasn't it that was hard work for Brett it was just too big for him just too big but you know it was a little payday for Brett and I knew he could look after himself but he's not a bad kid him very very busy kid and I think Brett thinks he'll do well and that's usually a good sign yeah he's a good fighter Louis he's had um He's had an interesting kind of 18 months. In oh, the, yeah, you bought a ticket then, yeah? Yeah, I actually ticket, commented yeah. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I bought How a cool ticket. Is that? Well, my wife. Goes Never bought a ticket to, for our show, but it's still pretty cool. <laughs> my wife trains at Darren Barker's gym, and Louis's one of the instructors down there. So um, we got tickets through him, and he was on early. He was on early, so we went and checked him out, had a look at a few of the other fights, and then, and then actually went before it all got too chaotic, because I hadn't actually been in the. Uh, in the crowd for a for a for a fight night for a while, and it, it was just like by about half past six, even seven o'clock. It was just like the wild west. To be like fair, after being on my podcast as well, I bet people wouldn't leave you alone either, would they? <laughs> <laughs> but I just there's just beer flying all over the place, and I thought, you know, now is probably time a good time a good time to bow out. But you've also had a very interesting trip since we last saw you. Uh, you went over to Italy with Sam, Sam Eggington. Oh yeah, it's brilliant. And he got the win. Big, yeah. big win in the context of uh, of his wider career. He's achieved a lot so far, but he really needed that win. Uh, and in true Peg fashion, it was it was quite unconventional from, from your side, because uh, due to your fear of flying, you, you drove over. No, uh, no, you've got that wrong. The planes are scared of me. Is that you know what I mean? I'm scared of nothing. No, no, it was brilliant. Honestly, it's a, it, it was a fear. Like, it's not a fear, it's a terror. I can't even think of it. Like, when I went to Vegas, I literally got drunk for 10 hours and I don't drink, so that weren't nice. But I turned something that was a fear into something that it was great. If ever you get the chance, drive through the Alps. It was. I'm not, one of, I'm not a sightseer. I was actually driving through. Listen, if I drove through the Alps and you were a passenger, you'd be happy to be scared on the plane. I guarantee. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, no, yes, I've, I've I've drove with you, so yeah, I know that that's a fact. But no, it was it was it was really good. And but you know what the problem was? We got there, it was knackered, as everyone was there, people looking like was mad. And I and I sat down, and was chatting about the fight, and then I thought to myself, that was a long drive. If Sam loses in two days' time, I'm going to drive back so depressed. I hadn't thought about that because I take it quite hard. I thought that was a really long drive. I thought if he loses, 
It's going to be the worst drive ever back. Luckily, he won. We went along the Riviera. We stopped in Monaco. We just it was just it was something else. It was, I turned something that I don't like into something that was a great experience. So it was good fun. And obviously, we went over and smashed the Italian up. So bonus. Well, an away win is always is something to be really treasured, isn't it? Because. Yeah. He was up against it in, in many ways. It's been a difficult year. It had been a difficult 12 months after the after the uh, defeat to Wachinia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and people wondering where he was where he was going, really. You, you got him back on a couple of your shows and got him a couple of wins, but it was... People forget that he's really not very old at all, Sam. Also, you know, it's crazy because people go, oh, yeah, well, he, he, he was a good winner. I'm like, beforehand, that guy was... He weren't as world level as his ranking looks, but he was 31 and 2. He had two losses. One was a split decision for the European. The other one was an 11th round stoppage when he was in front on points for the European. He was 31 and 2. Salmon over then blitzed him in two rounds. But then because he made it look so easy and comfortable, he's like, oh, well, the guy weren't that good anyway. You might not be the very best, but you don't get to 31 and 2 with only two narrow losses to two good guys without being pretty good. And he went over there to a place that's traditionally hard to get a win and and done it in style you know wore Italian colours on his shorts and come out to a spaghetti western music I picked that we just really rubbed it in we just went over I was like but you know what the crowd were good I thought the crowd were going to be a bit what's it the crowd were really nice they're really appreciating that was, was good it was, it was it was an experience it was different so what are you looking at for him next do you think do you know what I'm going to take Matt's advice here. Um, that we, you know, we chat a lot, Matt. He, he tells me stuff about boxing. I tell him stuff about chess. It's 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 a two way street. <laughs> but now, is and and Matt said this to me many times before. And sometimes you ain't got the opportunity. Sometimes you have. Most people they get a decent world ranking and they sit on it, and they all kind of pick fights and they wait for something big. And like Sam got offered another fight straight away, and we looked at him. It's kind of like, yeah, well, the money's good, but. It's a rubbish fight. Every other way doesn't work. It's not a great fight. And so, and I, and I said, you know what? You t- just turned twenty six. You've got a top six world ranking. You're exciting as anything. You're never in a bad fight. Let's not rush. Let's not fly into something six weeks later that is literally eighty twenty just on styles wise and the way it's fell about. I says, let's for once take our time. So that's what we've done. We stuck him on one of our shows because he wanted to stay active. Um. He got a win there. He'd done his job. And we're just... There's all this stuff's floating about. So we'll just wait and see what happens. It's not hard with Sam because it's not hard for it to talk him into a fight. Fights come because he's exciting. He's got losses, so people look and think, oh, that's a good fight. Matt will tell you, when you're looking down rankings, if someone's unbeaten, you always think, well, he could be the next best thing in the world. If they've got a couple of losses, you've got something to draw, and you say, well, I can judge what this is. I'll, I'll go for him. So fights will come, and when they come... And, it, and, and it's again, it's a kind of a cliche, but he, he is improving. Again, he's just turned 26 with limited amateur style, and he's improving. He's, he's getting things right. He's learning stuff, and you know, we've we've kind of put little tests in his way since things have happened, and he's feeling good about himself. So, who knows what'll happen with Sam? Because it's just been a really great adventure. I mean, I was driving through the bloody Alps the other week. Who would have ever thought I was doing that as part of the sport, and you know, stuff like that? Who would have thought you were doing that when you're doing dialer tat? <laughs> I've got to admit if you'd have come staggering out one of them little wooden houses in just your pants it wouldn't have surprised me anymore and I'd, I'd have bought you a drink I'd have said yeah no problem so 
who knows what's going to happen, but we're enjoying it. The fact is, someone says to me the other week, uh, a reporter as such, says, oh, well, if he doesn't win this at World Title, will he call it a day? I was like, what? Is there a problem being European level? I says, because if somebody had offered Sam European level when everyone was saying he wouldn't win a Midlands title, he'd have loved to have been European level. I says, if he's European level, we'll get on with it. We'll have fights, we'll win some. He might lose some step-ups, but we'll get on with it. What's the big deal? You're not, you're, you're not world level, you retire. Don't be so fucking stupid. You know, there was um, one of the best boxing people I've ever met, and that, and that, that there is really, that knows the sport from every single level of the small all shows to selling tickets to doing big shows, whether that's as a, you know, in different capacities as well. Definitely one of the best matchmakers there's ever been. And that's uh, Russell Peltz. Of uh, Blue Horizon. Yeah, and I fought on a couple of uh, Russell Peltz's shows. Did you fight in, the Blue Horizon? No, I fought the new Alhambra, which was probably the new Blue Horizon at the time. Um, and it was a real... And I, This is what I'm talking about. I thought it was my second... 2005, I'd... Um, I'd had the loss to face. He'd had a few wins. I was with Billy Graham. Him and Frank weren't getting on at all. I was kind of feeling the wrath of that. I was being left on the shelf a bit, but I was working hard in the gym. Anyway, sorted it out with Frank. I was meant to be boxing in the December up in Scotland, and I sparring Ricky Hatton. He was fighting uh, Ray Oliveira. I ended up breaking my hands. I was out. Contract expired. Anyway, sat down with Frank. So I'm going to try and get to the point here as quick as possible <laughs> without going on about 50 tangents, which I'm always good at doing. But anyway, we'll get to it. I'm out, I'm out, basically, long story short, I've been out, I'm out of contract with Frank, sat down, talking about a new offer. Didn't really feel inspired by it. Thought, I get that. You know, I've, uh, I've had that loss uh, against Faze. I've had a few wins since. Not massively inspiring wins. You know, they were down the card. Now I've had the injury, and it's a little bit. I felt like I was a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and I thought I need to kind of prove myself, get a bit of momentum going, and um, and show him why he why he wanted to, so much to sign me in the first place. So I ended up I ended up ringing up Brian Peters. Um, didn't know him, never met him, but uh, got his number off Joe Egan, gave him a shout, and uh, and said, "Look, I can see you boxing. You're doing a show in Dublin. I'd like to get on it." So to be fair, can we just tell that back? It's Big Joe Egan. <laughs> What's that? It's Big Joe Egan. <laughs> yeah, we'll just... You've got to use his honorific. Okay, well, Joe, Joe, got, Joe put me in touch. So I got his number and I called him. So I was meant to do an eight-rounder on the card. And uh, a couple of weeks before, uh, Jim Rock pulled out injured. Uh, he was meant to fight uh, Roddy Doran for the Irish middleweight title or defend it or whatever. So I go, yeah. Jim okay. Rock? I thought you said Jim what? I was no, going to say, Jim fucking hell, that was bad matching. He's yes. about 60 at that stage. <laughs> From, yeah, from Shrewsbury, yeah. who boxed um, Damon, what's it for the, uh, some Haig, WBF, Damon yeah, Haig. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I was meant to, because that was one of the videos I'd watched, I'd never seen him box, Roddy Doran. So anyway, I had a look at the, uh, some, so he, so the eight round up. you with Roddy Duran. So he rings me up and he goes, look. Um, Someone should get arrested for that, so, if that had have happened. So he rings me up and goes, uh, Jim Rock's pulled out of the chief support fight against Roddy Duran. Uh, do you want to um, fight for the Irish middleweight title? Uh, you know, I was still thinking I was a light middle at this point. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll take the fight. So we agreed the fight. So anyway, I think about 10 days out, so not long after this, he, he pulls out. Um, uh, Roddy, Do- uh, Roddy Doran pulls out. Yeah, that's probably a he, sensible move. And he know. goes, um, do you want to fight Mo- uh, Michael Monaghan? Now, Michael he Monaghan, fought everyone at that stage, hasn't now, he? Now, Michael Monaghan was 
Fred, people would know, was very much a, a win some, lose some kind of guy, but was definitely a lot better than he his record like suggested. Max Maxwell. You know, would pull wins off over British level guys, but then lose to other people. Yeah, he, like it, you know, his he, record was half and half, but he had he'd, some good he'd been wins. He'd stopped on his feet by Carl Frutch at that and time. And he had a really close Gary loss Luckett, to Gary Luckett. Yes, really yeah, close yeah. fight to Gary Luckett. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll fight him. And uh, I didn't think Brian... I, the impression I got was that Brian thought I wouldn't take the fight. And know. he always really fancied it, Monaghan, yeah. didn't he? And he always really and he had a couple. Of, I think he had a couple of losses to Jim Rock, which were debatable. Yeah. So anyway, I take the fight. I'm trying to get to this point now without going off on a million tangents. I'm going to get to this. I'm trying, I've already lost where I'm going. Uh, anyway, we, I've had done the fight. Going to, oh yeah, so at the fight we were going back to Philadelphia, Russell Pals. I knew, I knew, I knew there was a. I knew I was going somewhere with this. So we, we can't help you here. Yeah, you just, so I've done the fight, won the Irish title, built rapport with Brian. Anyway, I had a couple of fights out in America, uh, and they're all Russell Pals was the guy who who sorted them out and the connection to Russell Pals for me was a guy called Tom Moran who was good friends with a guy called Ron Bodie who I'd known from the amateur days so it was very much a fight by fight by basis and I'd done a couple of eight rounders but in that period of time anyway I got to know met Russell Pals a few times and when I fought at the show in uh, Philadelphia it was like a real old time spitting sword or shows of geezers at the back of the and Russell Pals was a proper matchmaker weren't he yeah smoking cigars and you know people going to a Russell Pals show were going were boxing fans like the you know we talk about yeah they weren't going to watch them when they were going to watch the fights they were going to watch yeah, the fights yeah, yeah. Do you know, there was yeah. no one there as a ticket seller they were going to watch the fights yeah. and I remember the main event was a guy called uh, Willie Gibb against uh, I think Marcus Primera I think was who it was called. Now, Mark, this Marcus Marbury, really good, had lost one. Uh, middleweight, super middleweight. Yeah, like middleweight, that. yeah. You know, he was a de- really good fighter. Well, decent fighter. Um, he'd lost one. And Marcos Primera probably was a win some, lose some, like a Michael Monaghan type of guy. Yeah. You know, had won some, lost some. But I remember watching him. I'd done the eight-rounder. I'd sold a lot of tickets um, for the fight. Well, I hadn't sold them. But Tom Moran had sold a lot of tickets to the uh, Irish community within Philadelphia. And then when... We sat down watching the main event, and like I said, this arena probably holds 1,200 tops. Do you know what I mean? It was like a Blue Horizon type venue, your call. And anyway, I remember sitting there and watching Willie Gibb against this Marcus Primera, and it was a proper good fight. Both of them were talented, just, they had skills, they were digging man. in. And I remember thinking, this is. So, and, and at that time, so my experience in professional boxing was. You went to a Frank Warren show, and everyone in the... I mean, there were, there were some shows where there were literally six first-round knockouts to the blue corner. You no, know, that, that weren't matchmaking. No, you know, there was no value there. The only reason that they probably were getting away with those sort of things was because, you know, 16,500 people out of the 17,000 were just going there to watch Ricky Hatton win, to go out on the piss after. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it didn't really matter about the matchmaking. There was no value in the fights. They just wanted everyone in the house corner to win. That's why we keep packing the Villa out, because I'm allowed to match how I want to match. And this, is, and not... this is where I'm coming on to you now. So back then at the Russell Pelts thing, I'm not saying you're the new Russell Pelts, by the way, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, <we're... laughs> <laughs> well, was Russell uh, Pelts an internet there, sensation? There is, there is a compliment in here somewhere. I'm, I'm just getting to it. He's the old John Pegg. <laughs> so, we've, uh, but I've, Russell Pelts never went through what I had to. So, but my point was that everyone in that, the 1,100 people in that venue watching the fights in Philly knew they were going to the Friday night fights at the, at the new Alhambra and they're going to see some good fights and they fucking did see some good fights. And the comparison is... 
out of all the people I know doing small hall shows around the UK, I'd put you in that category. Do you know what? I'm just when you was talking about that then and talking about old school guys and that, I was thinking when I was matching and I'm, I still am doing, and uh, when Pat Barrett first popped on the scene and started doing shows. Now I've known Pat a long time. And he says, oh, could you do some matching for me? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to say no, am I? You know what I mean? So, and like Pat, he's like the nicest guy, but he's just got that aura in him. He's like, you know, he's, you know, he is what he is. And you think to yourself, I don't give him a chip, he'll cut me head off. He's like Pat Barrett. So I'm doing his matching for him, and I'm giving him matches that I know are double safe because I don't want to get anything wrong because I'm thinking, fuck it, I don't know him that well. And he rung me up the one day and he's gone, John, he's gone, uh been chatting to someone and uh, told me the geezer, my guy, the insider, told me that uh, Matt Seawright's still dangerous. I'm like, what the fuck? I said, what the fuck are you on about? Matt Seawright's very awkward. He's very tricky. He's good at what he does. But he's never been fucking dangerous, let alone still dangerous. I says, what are you on? And the phone's gone really quiet. And mid-rant, I kind of thought, you remembered who you were talking yeah, I thought, to. <laughs> what on earth am I shouting at Pat Barrett? And he was like, oh. And I was like, but if, yeah, I'll find someone else. It's no problem. And I was like, oh. And I stopped doing that job a few weeks later. And I said, oh, I'm really busy. You're probably have to going to get someone else. And I'm great friends with him. But I was like, mid-rant. And because he was like matchmaking where I know what I'm on about. And he just went really quiet. And I was like, oh, shit. This is trouble here, isn't it? And like, so it's like sometimes you want to match how you want to match, and like, yeah, I, and you get kind of the feedback, and it's just not happening. And but luckily with our shows, I can match how I want. Like Shakan Peters' British title fight, Mick Ennis's won the bid for it, and uh, I says, right, I says, do you want me to do you some good fights for the undercard that they'll both sell? And Mick was like, well, yeah, if you could. So I've given him three fights that are both sellers selling. And he's come back to me. He's gone, do you know what? Do you want to do the whole undercard? He's gone, this is great. He's gone, and I'm so... But you're not allowed to. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you get people moaning at you until you get the, what you want. Other times you just get the phone going silent and it's fucking Pat Barrett on the other end. So you just decide to do whatever he wants you to do. And yet you, you, you kind of, like, it just goes out the window. Yeah, who cares if I'm a matchmaker? I'm, I'm just a booker for this show. Fuck it. I'll just book as many bodies as you want. You know what I mean? But yeah. So, no, it's, it, it's a difficult job, but it can be really rewarding. And then you get lads like Sam and Craig Cunningham and the lads that I've been allowed to develop, and they become good fighters because they match properly. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Look, it's easy to build a record, but it takes skill and expertise and experience to build a fighter. Yeah, yeah, and it it takes a proper team to go with you. The team's got to go with you and say, like, yeah, we'll do this, we'll trust that. And that's that's when you get good fighters. And, you know, like, you weren't matched easy-easy. You had your tests and that. And you become a good long-term fighter because of it. No, without a doubt. I think there was times where 
I definitely took fights that really looking back. Well, put it this way. I took fights that if I was managing, a, if I had been managing me, I never would have took them. There were, there, were, there were fights against the who needs him and risk-reward ratio just didn't stack up. Yeah. But, you know, I backed myself and I came through them. And but you've done your job and it made you a better fighter. It's, you know, if you'd have got walloped or something, I'd say, oh, yeah, you're right. But risk-reward, I can understand that. But you become through to become a world-class fighter. No, you do, and, and 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 managing and matchmaking. And there's some people who wouldn't have become world class fighters because of the route they followed. You know, yeah. with the same skill set, they might have been a lot more cautious, a lot more careful, and they wouldn't have got to where you got. It's as simple as that because you took the right route. It's you as need, simple as that. You learn in the gym, but you you also learn obviously in the fights. You have to put it into practice what you've learned in the fights, and that you know it's coming through those tough tests that that you know get you to the next level. You, you know, there's only so much you can uh, you do in the gym. You have to put it into practice. Yeah. And, um, Matchmaking is just such a massive, massive part. It's a stress, of but it's part of it, and it. Yeah. And, and it, but it is. It's I think, but I do see the difference as well. Like like I said, we talked about Philadelphia there. Their fight fans that were going to that fight, that they weren't going to support anyone in particular. They're just going to see a good fight. So they they want to see fifty you know, fifty it's fights. When you hear, and I've like heard it on the podcast and stuff. When a boxer says, "Oh, more jobs to fight," the promoter's job is to sell tickets. Yeah, it is. But also, and I say this to boxers, if the kind of fight. You, you're making sure that you get and people are getting. You can't sell 10 tickets to people who've known you 30 years and love you. What chances the promoter got selling that fight to people who don't know you and to people who are just coming along to watch a boxing match? You can't sell them to people who know you. You're admitting that because you're saying it's not my job. How's the promoter meant to do the job? Tech fights that generate interest and make people want to come along. I've just matched Jordan Cook with Michael Green. Two good fighters, both at the kind of six to eight round level, Jordan's fought 10 rounds and they both come back to me and gone, this is great, this is what my fans want, this will be a step for me. And I'm like, no one's going to lose here because they're both generating interest with the fans, they're having a proper fight, they're going to become better fighters for it. And But the worst thing is, it's it's not the norm. It's like against the norm. So it, it, it's, you know, the more we do that, the more you'll generate interest, the Some, more fighters will improve. Someone's going to lose but both people are going to move forward from oh, it afterwards. Oh, without a doubt. And they're both going to generate fans. Winner or loser, because you can tell it's going to be a good fight. You know, so that's, that's what you've got to look for. A fighter of yours that I've been tracking since we last came to see you is Ben Fields. Yeah, because yeah, at that point you said to us, very interesting. At that point you said to us, you know, Ben Fields, and then he's becoming a real handful. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll remember that name and, and, and follow him. He and nearly see, got see us what killed happens. in Liverpool, man. Well, do, do, oh. do, do tell the story. I spoke to him briefly on the phone the other day after you gave me his number because we will definitely get him on this at some point. Yeah, he's, 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 he could he's, make an, it he's an inspirational he's, um, character, Ben is. He is, absolutely. He couldn't make it today because he's over in, over in Nottingham. But he, well, he, he's quite a good case study, isn't he, really, of somebody who I think started in the home corner and then switched to the away corner. I think he had one fight in the home corner just to see what it was like and stuff. And then he was like, oh, get me some fights. And he's just a hard man. He's boxed up at 11 stone. He's boxed down at 10 stone. He's beat, I think out of his 18 fights, he's boxed 15 unbeaten kids. He's beat a lot of them. He goes there and um, he boxed a kid who was Commonwealth Games silver medalist. And Ben's a little stocky guy who's had a checkered past. And I said to him, I says, if you try and jab with him, I said, he's going to beat you up. Well, no, he's going to outbox you. He won't beat you up. I says, man, handle him a bit. I says, show him what it's about. So I'm not at that fight because I'm just his manager. I do do his corner sometimes. I'm watching it online. He went out and he fucking body slammed the kid in the first round. And I was like, I didn't mean manhandle him like that. And then he's literally got his elbow in his throat, smashing him in the side of the head. And he got a draw that he probably should have just nicked it. And I thought to myself, he's got some. 
he's prepared to go out and just fight, you know. And then he put a little run together. He beat five unbeaten kids on the trot and some good kids. And was in Liverpool and, like, the crowd are going nuts because he'd already beat a Liverpool prospect a few months before. And I'm on about going nuts. And um, I'm standing there. I've got the train up and I'm meeting Sean and Ben. And they're trying to... He beat the kid. They're trying to get at the ring. They're throwing stuff in. They're going crazy. And I'm, I can see Ben Ben always takes one fan. And they're literally chasing him around the balconies upstairs. You can see him hiding and there's looking for him. He was like, and I was like, this is really... They've gone out the front. They started fighting each other because they wanted to get at him. And I says to Sean, I says, this could be a bit... What's it here? He said, he's right. I parked out the back. He said, I had a feeling Ben was going to win. And you know, at the Olympia. So we walked out the back doors. I've had a look. We got straight in the car. And we could actually see about 20 of them fighting each other out the front. And I was like, man, if we'd have had to walk through them, it was kicking off. And he's fearless. He's like... And, but to be fair, Sean's got another lad, um, a kid called Nathan Benden, just beat Levi Kinsoa by knockout. And um, he boxed uh, Mar- Florian Marku, is it? No, the Albanian who takes about 1,000 fans. So we're up at Watson, and, and they're both ex-kickboxers. So I'm looking out, and there's, honestly, it was like, it was like, what's it all over again, Jamie Moore? There was like none of his fans, and like, they're all in red. They're all chanting with these flags and all that. And I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, man, this is a bit what's it. And he's gone to me, he's gone, yeah, oh, John, he's gone, there's me, me, uh, me knife and bending T-shirt. And I was like, yeah, won't be needing that. <laughs> I think a little fat guy who can't run don't need to be marked if, in an arena if, just in case you pull the wind. You know what I mean? If runs, I want to be able to blend yeah. in. <laughs> but then, but then I felt kind of, then I felt really guilty and I thought, I'm here with him. So I put the T-shirt Solidarity. on. Solidarity. fuck it. But then what I did is I put my coat on and zipped it up. So I kind of went with my morals and put the T-shirt on, but I thought, I'm zi-. And he had a really good fight. He lost on points. It was a bit wider than it should have been. Everyone had it closer than it was. And the Albanians was all happy. And I was kind of like, I never want to lose. But you know what? It was a bit like with you. I was thinking, I don't know if I really, really want to win tonight. You know what I mean? I thought, this ain't nice. You know what I mean? But yeah. I would like to win, but I want to get out of here a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when he passed me the T-shirt, I actually, honestly, I just put it down. I thought, yeah, I won't be needing that. Big, big sign on my chest saying, yeah, I'm with him. But then I thought, I can't do that, I'm here with him. So I put my coat on, zipped it up and thought, that's my compromise. But now Sean's bringing through some real tough, hard kids. It's, it, it's crazy because Sean's kind of doing what I was doing seven years ago. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Sean Cogan, isn't yeah, it? Sean Cogan, yeah. You're going to see him afterwards, and but he's like kind of getting these tough, hard lads and and taking chat. And like seven years ago, I was kind of working with like Terry Carruthers and people like that, and I was having to take chances, learn the trade, and then eventually kids at a slightly higher level come through. You've kind of developed your own shows, and you can start to develop people properly. But I'm looking at what Sean's doing. I'm thinking, I know what you're doing here, and I know how tough it is. And that's why I've been going along and helping in the corner and just giving bits of advice because I've been there like, like Terry Carruthers, like, again, that was against an Albanian, uh, Kresnik Kwaito. There was yeah, another massive ticket sale. Hundreds of them. Well, anyway, they, at your call, they're giving Terry grief. And you know Terry. Terry's like, he's a good boxer, but he's also a tough guy, you know. And he wanted to go after some of them outside. 
seriously he was like I'm not having I'm like no no we are having that we are he wanted to go after him I swear yeah I'll tell you a story this is a kind of an example of Terry Carruthers one of my favourite people crazy could have been a lot better could never control his diet we're in the old gym the in town the big one and we had the big ring there and this guy come in he was an MMA guy not a top level MMA guy but you could see he'd done it he's going oh yeah and we, you know we're letting him train with us he's a nice enough kid and he's done a bit of sparring got his head jabbed off so he's turned around and he's gone, yeah, yeah, what it is, um, if any of your guys was doing my sports, uh, I'd, I'd take them out. And I was like, well, to be fair, it's true. A boxing guy goes into MMA, he's going to get took out. An MMA guy goes to boxing, he gets took out. But he started getting a little bit cheeky with it. And Terry Carruthers has gone, I'll do some with you. And I've gone, Terry, you got a fight coming up. Forget it. He went, no, no, I'll do some. And the kid's gone, you, you, you know, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it if I was you, mate. So I'm like, Oh, no, 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 he'll do some with you. I'm thinking, yeah, you're not a top-level MMA guy, and he ain't just a fucking boxer. I thought, you've made a bit of a mistake here. You're picking someone thinking he's a jab and mover. So Terry's hopped in, and the guy starts doing, trying to pull his coat out, like his, his, his T-shirt over his head. I went, oh, do they do that in MMA, do they? And they're in there, and he's got a bit of a crowd now. So then he's got Terry in a lock, like in the, and it's in a ring, not an MMA thing. And he's got Terry in this lock, and I looked, and I thought, oh, fuck. And Terry's looked at me, and he's gone, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So, and they're... He's only reversed it, ain't he? Like, because Terry's one of them kids who can do backflips. Yeah. He, you know, he's he's one of them kids. He'll stand on a roof and somersault off to impress the kids, the amateur kids and stuff like. that. So he's only reversed it and got him in a fucking rear naked choke. So I'm like, now I'm buzzing, and the guy's just going blue, trying everything to get out of it. I went, you're gonna have to fucking tap, mate. And he went, and Terry, and I, and I thought you picked the wrong one, ain't you? Think you? And I said, you're going to have to tap. And in the end, he's tapped. And he's got up and he's fucking red and everything. And, and, and that, that's Terry Carruthers all over. And I thought, yeah, you picked the wrong guy to, like, oh, we'll have a bit. Like I say, a top MMA guy. He's tying a boxer up in nuts. But he weren't a top MMA guy. And also, Terry's not just a boxer. He's that kind of kid. So they're the kind of lads we was on the road with. And so I know when Sean's taking your Ben Fields out, this hard nut who's been in jail and been in rehab and everything, and who's turning amateur stars over I've been there with Terry you know Terry got when he had that great running prize fight do you know we got that Terry had had some good wins he won a Midlands title I rung up I said can I put Terry in prize fighter I said he's talented he's exciting he's you know he'll give it everything he's got they went no his record's too bad I was like ah come on give it no his record's too bad I'm like ah fuck you then next day I was in London with Dean Mitchell fighting Liam Smith and it's a Thursday night Warren show that it's a charity thing. Sky have got a show in Ireland the day after that. I've got the phone call. Eamon O'Kane's opponents just pulled out at super middle. We're desperate. Huge ticket seller. Have you got anyone? I went, no, not really. What about Terry Carruthers? I went, no, no, he's got... Five minutes later, I rung him back. I went, put him in prize fighter and he'll take the fight. And they went, so if we put him in prize fighter, he'll save our bacon and go there tomorrow. I was like, yes, yes, he will. So I rung Terry, yeah. I said, you've got to get there tomorrow. We got there. John Wish, one of the best guys in the game, has come up to Terry and gone, look, you're in prize fighter. It's a done deal. Do us a favour, though. Don't just take a knee or don't just... Terry looked at John and he went, I'm going to fucking beat him. He didn't beat Eamon O'Kane, but he gave him a fight. and he went... Terry was like... Insulted? Yeah, he was like, I'm going to fucking beat him. And John was like, oh, great. Saying. And he gave Eamon O'Kane a fight and then he went to prize fighter, beat Nav Mansouri beat um, the bull, uh, the kid from London, and lost in the final when he was shattered. You know, he gave it his all. So when Sean's working with them guys, 
I've been there, I've been there, and, and, and I, I love seeing it because I know what comes if you stick with it. Like now, we've got Shaq in the gym, we've got Ryan Kelly, we've got Casey Benjamin, we've got a good kid called Lewis Coley who's coming through, we've got obviously Sam doing his thing, we've had Don Broadhurst. So, but I know what it was like. You know, I, I used to take a guy on the road, Matt will know him, called uh, Sid Razak. Uh, do you remember, you, you know, Sid? Yeah, we Sid. all remember Sid, absolutely. Honestly, and it, without any disrespect to any boxer I've ever met, the hardest man I've ever met. Because no kind of fancy defence, no big punch to put him off. Sid would literally put his hands up, walk into whatever was coming his way, soak it up, and wear him down, basically. And that's how he does it. I'd be, I'd be with Sid, and we'd go somewhere. Sid, Sid's good fun. We, me, him, and Lenny, Lenny Woodall, God rest him, we used to have some fun. Like We'd go somewhere out in the sticks where they're not quite so politically correct, and there'd be shouts of, kill the packy bastard. I'm not even joking. And I'd say to Sid, we know what's going to happen. And he'd go, yeah, I know. And like, you look at Skid, Sid, he's like nine stone, skinny, got the worst haircut you've ever seen, doesn't look like a boxer. And I guarantee you, by the fourth round, them shouts would be changing to, just run, just run, just hold on to him. You know, these geezers have never seen it before. And Sid would be walking him down. Because the fourth round, I'd say, right, Sid, take him to hell now. Let's show him what's what. And he'd say, yeah. Okay, and, and 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 I'd just be sitting in the corner, smiling to myself, thinking, "Yeah, you've uh, you've." Do you remember when Seamus sparred Sid? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Seamus punched the head off Sid for about two and a half rounds. Could see he was starting to blow. Is that when he kicked the door off? I got him blowing it out his ass, right? Yeah, yeah. Next thing, Sid goes up, catches him with this massive uppercut. Seamus' nose is just exploding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Sid used to do to prospects. And I'd be hearing him giving him, "Kill him! This is shit! Is that?" By the th- end of the third, the fourth round, they would literally just be screaming, just, Dennis, just hold on. Uh, David, just run, just run. Yeah, I'll be looking I, around thinking, yeah. Do you know yeah. what? I used to spar Sid when I was 15. The hardest man I've ever seen. You know, like, there's more technically clever guys. But you know, like, for when you look at him, like, it's unbelievable. That was when Seamus kicked the door off at our gym. He got that frustrated. He kicked the toilet door. And kicked no, that it. was I Antonio, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I was when it Antonio. Antonio, yeah. I thought it was then. Fucking oh. hell. Second door. Still owes <laughs> us for that door he does. Seamus used to go in. If Seamus wasn't knocking fuck out of you, he thought he yeah, spied shit. Yeah, he took sparring really personal, didn't he? But no, so, the the Seamus we're talking about is Seamus Macklin, by the way. Matt, Matt, Matt's brother. So you know, Matt just exploding into, dissolving into laughter there, recounting a story where Sid Razak opened up his brother's nose. That, that's kind of well, boxing all over, really. Do you know when the amateurs went back to three minutes? From twos, because Richie Woodall was up at the amateur set up, um, he took all the pros from our gym up there to get them used to three minutes. Obviously, there's getting their heads pinged off the logs of D. Mitchell, Sid, Max Maxwell, but there was like showing the amateurs we keep coming in the third minute, it's tough. And I always remember Sid, he'd done 12 rounds with four different amateurs, all top kids getting in and out. And about the 11th round, he came back to the corner. He went, John, he's slowing down. I'm getting to you now. I went, Sid, it's the fourth different geezer, you stupid bastard. Didn't realise that four people had got in and out the ring while he was sparring. Just a hard, hard... So when I see Sean doing that, and it's like, I think to myself, you're going the right way. You're learning your trade. You're learning it the hard way. You're learning all the tricks. And then when them kids come along who need that bit extra, you've got it for them, you know what I mean? And, and that, that's how it kind of went for me, to be honest. Yeah, and what it all ties in, and it, it's even going back and or including that little bit what I was talking about in Philadelphia, about the guy who'd won some, lost some, Marcus Primary, he's having a great fight with Willie Gibbs. It was definitely, Willie Gibbs would have boxed on television, on ESPN and different things like this at the time. He was yeah, a, a, good, a good fighter. He got and beat when he stepped up, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, like to the high level. Yeah, but he was, but was good, do you know what I mean? And what I mean is that... You, 
You see the big, the big TV shows, Matchroom, you know, Frank Warren back in the day here, and obviously you're going to have the people that are, you know, good prospects with hype, you know, good amateur momentum turning pro. They are going to be looked after and they are going to be brought along nicely. And they're going to have a few journeymen. They're going to step them up slowly or, or, what, or quickly, however they uh, progress. But sometimes you can't beat that absolute bread and butter real boxing where it's literally there's no one molly coddling anyone or protecting their record they're just yeah. they're just real they're just fighting fights. they're just fighting it was like it's um max maxwell he was a good fighter early on won some titles boxed for some bigger titles against but one of the unluckiest person people ever he drew with a current british champion then lost him in the rematch he knocked out someone who was a future British champion, then lost to him in a rematch, Warren Rhodes of the British, and he also lost by a point to Sam Webb when he had him on the deck really badly, and he, he didn't really lose it, but, you know, Max was unlucky, but Max kind of went on that, what's it, where, now I'm going to earn some money, I'm going to take it easy, but then, at the end, I got him a fight at home, because I always try and get the lads who have really served the game well, I try and get in their last fight at home, you know, where it's all about them, like, it's, it, it, you know, and the trouble was, a couple of people was looking at Max had lost 20 on the trot, not realising, because he was having his last fights at home, he was suddenly back in proper training. And if you look at his last few fights, he turned over a few prospects. There was one of them where, basically, they rung me up on the Saturday morning that says, uh, someone's pulled out, have you got anyone? I went, no, not really. They says, 12 stone. I said, no, I haven't. They says, would Max do it? I went, no, he's only 11 stone, really. So I rung Max. I says, and he woke up. He says, I've just woke up. I've been out all night. I said, that's good. I says, because you'll probably be heavy. So I says, right, I says, there's a good payday here. I says, look, they've already says they don't want to mix it with you. They're just going to box. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a what's it, but they were saying we're happy to just box and stay out the way. It'll be an easy morning's work. And he went, it was an afternoon show. He went, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it, pick me up. So we got there and the kid come in at 12.11 for a start. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, he's coming nearly every anyway. And then someone's come up to me and gone, a Liverpool lad I know, went, that's an odd match. I says, yeah, but he's, not, he's just going to box. He's like, he went, this kid don't just box. He says he goes for the kill. I was like, well, hang about us, you know. So I went over. I said, your guy just, you know, he's just going to box and, you know, be nice and quick on his feet. And he went, well, I'll ask him too. He says, but, you know, when boxing. And I was like, oh, so you've asked me to do you a favour, get someone out of bed, telling me they're just going to box at range because they don't want to mix it with Max. Now, you've come in a stone heavy. I thought, okay, we're being had over, haven't we? And this is the kind of Max... Max could have easily gone, I feel ill, I'm not doing it. Because he was... He went, ah, fuck it, let's see what happens. Kid comes out, bombing. And nearly texts Max head off in the first round. And Max never got dropped as a pro. He got stopped twice, it was bollocks. And I thought, they've had us. They've stitched us up. It's nearly two stone over his usual weight. And um, they've stitched us up. And I'm fuming. So Max is like, whoa, he's there. Next thing you know, as the kid's going to kill him, bang! He's hit the deck like a stone... Max is like literally staggering over to the neutral corner thinking, what is going on here? He's looked at me and I've looked at him and the other corner's looking at us as if to say, shall we go back to a nice boxing match? And I'm like, fuck you, fuck you. So then Max goes and beats him, don't he? And they come over to him, I went, fuck. I says, you tried everything you could there. I says, you didn't realise Max is in training for his last fight. So he's got the kind of recovery. He's fighting he, fit. Yeah, he could take a punch and, and he won the fight. And then the next fight... He's boxing, and the promoter's gone to me. He's Max fit. I went, yeah, he's fit because he's boxing at home in two fights' time. I said we're making a big fuss of him. It's his, it's his end, and um, the promoter's gone. Oh, oh, oh it's all right. Um, the kids just told me he's leaving me. 
I went, oh, well, what are you telling me for? He went, do you think Max would get the win if there was a bonus? I was like, yeah, probably. I said, Max has an extra couple of hundred quid, and he beat that kid as well. And I'm like, fuck it. So, and then luckily, he had one, he had one where he just went in, because he didn't give it his all, because he knew he had a home fight. And then, he won't like me saying this, but Max, for, all, for being a hard and pro boxer, he's really an emotional lad, Max is. And what we did, we, we made the show, the poster was him, One Last War, Richie and Lem was there, Lem wasn't very well at the time, and we had a load of Max's old opponents, gym mates, etc. And while he's at the back in the villa warming up, about 20 or 30 of his old opponents and gym mates have all got Max Maxwell t-shirts, and they've done him an honour guard for the ring, but we haven't told him. So we've got to the thing, we've opened the door, and he's looked, and I'm not joking, he filled up. He actually filled up, and he went, you're a fucking prick, you are. And I was standing there, and, and, he, and he went out and won, and we made a fuss of him, but that, that's like, you know, like the lads who have served us, so we've done it with Don Broadhurst. No, he, I, I'm not, he, he liked that I said it, but he filled up, you know what? Just before getting in the ring, he went, you're a prick, you are. I don't, I don't get on with it. And, and you know, we try and, we try and make sure that they, you know, I was talking to my wife about the reason why I do this. I've got a kind of deep-rooted phobia about people basically having a nice fuss and then coming back from the one. When I was at school, as about a seven-year-old, there was a dinner lady called Mrs. Cadman. And I've got a real sweet tooth. Like, it's my real weakness. And I remember, I always have a distinct memory of my mum taking a box of chocolates in for Mrs. Cadman retiring. Yeah? And I was like... I, know. I sense a tale of shame coming here. No, John. no, no. It's, 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 it's a cautionary lesson. It's a cautionary lesson. So about a few months later, it's probably only two weeks, when you're little, time goes by slower, Mrs. Cadman come back to school after having loads of sweets and stuff. And I was kind of like, well, what the fuck's going on there? There was a staff shortage, so she come back for another few weeks. Then she left again. I remember my mum taking another jelly babies in. And I was like, seriously, no. I'll have them. I was like, stop it, no. So she left again. Sugar I'm envy. Even, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Six months later, guess who comes back to take the job up again? She was diabetic by now. No, Mrs. Cadman turns up again. Turns up again. And I'm like, I'm like about seven around. I was fuming. I was like, why are they keep giving this big fat woman sweets that I could be eating? And she just keeps coming back for more. So she announces she's leaving again a few months later. I ate the sweets on the way to school. My mum got some, I ate them. I was like, no, I'm not having it. So now, when a boxer says he's retiring, I'm like, you're staying fucking retiring. Mrs. Cadman mentally fucking scarred me. Keep coming back and having sweets that I really thought should have been mine. So I make a big fuss of them so they can't come back, you know, when they're like, oh, well, I haven't, no, no. We make that much fuss that you can't come back, you're done. And Max always says to me, he always says, a few times I thought, Shall I come back and have an earner? But I think I can't. You made such a fuss that night. That, and I, yeah, that's exactly what I was aiming at. All this fucking yo-yoing back and forwards. Yeah, if I'd have had my way, one retirement, that'd have been it. You know what I mean? It's just fucking... Was, Who? How many retirements did you once? have? I was trainers, weren't it? Sorry, yeah, yes. I know, many, of the, many of those. Did you only retire <laughs> once? Yeah, yeah. yeah I so thought about retiring after... Uh, well, I was in my mind I'd retired, I suppose, against uh, Jorge Sebastian Highlands. Because I'd... You know, it was done mainly. But then... How many did you have after that? I had four, and I won them. Yeah, because you, you, um, you, you was like... There was not a lot left that night, was there? No. Nah, there just, just weren't, was there? You thought, I've known him nothing forever. Left, and nothing left. I mean, to be honest... I, I can't believe you had any after that, because he was just... It, it, it honest, weren't you, really, my, was my, it? Uh, the excitement for me was definitely done 
after Martinez. To be honest, it was done prior to Sturm. Only the Sturm fight happened. Remember, I was meant to fight Winky Wright. Um, and he pulled out again. I can't believe you had four after that because you was, yeah. you was literally done there. No, nah, I was you? done. Well, I'll tell you the story what happened. So when I look back now, the, the excitement was gone really prior to Sturm. You know, pro 11 years at that point, I think. And, you know, changing trainers, different cities, hard fights. It's just disappointments. It's just, it kind of knocked it out of me. But when the Sturm fight happened, got the world title shot, I got really excited for it, up for it, trained hard. And it did. It definitely put an extra year or two on, on my career in terms of being getting the buzz back, got the Martinez fight, Madison Square Garden. How old Highland? 32, going 33. See, it sounds crazy, but you, you looked older than well, you I was, that night. I turned pro at 18, yeah, 19. Yeah, yeah. So then when um, that happened, that fight, I was definitely going to retire, but I thought, I'll get the Christmas out of the way, enjoy the new year, and I'll announce it in the new year. But then Eddie rings me second week of January and said, <clears throat> or whatever it was, do you want to fight Danny Jacobs, the 4th, the 11th of April, world title? So I'm like, how much? He's like, blah, blah, blah. I went, fucking right, I will, yeah. So then he's got fucking will. I'm going to retire anyway. I may as well get a world title shot and a nice few quid. And After which it, fight was that? After Highland. And, and I'm I was glad thinking, that didn't happen. And I was thinking, that yeah, of course, looking back now. But at the time, I remember thinking, Danny Jacobs wasn't on song at that point. He'd been, uh, he'd been put down by surgery. I thought, definitely in with at least a puncher's chance. And listen, worst case scenario, you lose, you go out in a world title shot. But... What happened was I would have had to have got a win first because I couldn't have gone into the world title shot coming off the back of the last. So there wasn't going to be time to get the win in. So it was like, oh, fuck it. You know, when you're looking from the outside, though, and it's not you. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, looking at that, that I didn't even realise that was the same time because it just weren't you against nah, Holland, nah, was nah, it? Nah, definitely not. And, and probably hadn't been for a while before Thanks, that even. Stick me and me Danny Jacobs. Nice one, mate. Yeah, well, listen, he's a promoter. He's, it's his job to come with opportunities and it's up to me or my management to say yeah or nay. And at yeah. that point, I was like, yeah, fuck it. Anyway, it didn't happen, but I thought, but it gets you thinking again. This is where boxing keeps you in. It doesn't let you go. And then he goes, well, I thought, oh, I started thinking, well, maybe I'll let one, one more, you know, boxing in, uh, it was coming to Birmingham on that show in the May. So I ended up boxing to one of the worst opponents I've ever boxed in my life, Sandor Mixer, terrible, one round job, but, but actually I'd done him in the second. But I got a win. I thought, fuck it, I'll have another one. It gets you back in, doesn't it? And then I had, I had four fights, didn't I, after Hoyle in the box. The mix, Rose, Ryan Rose, Wellborn, one in Marbella, and then the, the one in Birmingham and Marbella, which were both first round knockout jobs. And it was like. So you had two title level and two not title two level. Two gimmies. But, yeah, it yeah. Was, um, but, it, but it wasn't there. I mean, I mean, even in the Wellborn fight, I remember thinking, remember that fight I went down to Light Middle? First time I've been Light Middle since the Moor fight. And when I, when I say I didn't train for the fight, I trained for the fight as in I went to the gym, but it was no. Yeah, I brought a couple of lads over to Sparvia and you weren't... You was kind of doing it by memory, to be honest. I sparred twice for the fight. All I was with Dan Brees, weren't it? I sparred twice for the fight. All I cared about was making 11 stone. I thought, I thought, Jason Wilder ain't going to get two rounds. And all of a sudden, I'm in round seven thinking, fucking hell, I don't know if I've got the gas here to go 10. You know, because I struggled, you know, making the weight and then I hadn't really trained properly. So, but I got through the fight. And actually, when you think back, what Walburn went on and did after, it made it look a a better win than what I... Thought at the time, and then, and then the Brian Rose one for me. I knew, I knew in the third you round. Even, you didn't I do just the thought, check way the next day, and nah, did you? I, did, you I, I think in your mind there, you were saying. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. I just I thought all I was hoping was to get one big fight because I, I knew I couldn't get up for these fights, but but I needed to win a few of those fights to get into a big fight that I could get up for, if you know what I mean. And then I remember even though I won the Rose fight, I remember thinking a few weeks after, 
you know, you're thinking, well, maybe I could get this fight, maybe this fight could come up, maybe we can get that on. And then I just thought, ah, what am I doing, mate? Yeah, I'm just putting my fucking life, I'm just putting the inevitable on hold. Can I'm done, do you know what I mean? I just knew it was done and I thought, oh, fuck it, just, just retire. Just a quick one, when's this going to go out? Not absolutely sure. So we will probably be looking at fairly shortly after we've recorded it today. Brilliant, because... because today, the, the 20th, 21st, something like that, just, isn't it? Just want to mention, mention, after Matt was talking about those great shows that I match, February the 8th and February the 22nd, Aston Villa Park, be there. Might as well, I not yeah, absolutely. Well, you forced us into it now. We can't really, we can't really not put it out before that. Well, you could just make me look really stupid, couldn't you? And say, oh, what a fucking idiot! You know what I mean? Or I could edit hey, it out if hey, I only knew hey, how to do that. Can I just say because I've got proper like addicted to your podcast now. You know, like I'm doing all my travelling, and I says to Matt because um, I went through yours, and I, you know, when you're waiting for a new one, I tried somebody else's, and I felt like I was cheating on you. I swear, I swear, I felt like I, I listened to a couple, and I thought. No, I feel a bit, like, disloyal here. But how cool was um, Andy Lee's when he was mentioning me? I see now, I was like, what the fuck? You know when people go, oh, I don't get starstruck. I fucking do. <laughs> I was sitting there, I was like, this is brilliant. And I swear, you know, when you're listening to it, has he got, like, the best kind of Irish villain for a Bond film voice you've ever heard? When I was listening to his speak, I was thinking, I want to write a script and put him in just for his voice. And he's going, oh, yeah, John. And I was like, I was like, you know, then people go, oh, I don't get it. I was like, this is unreal. So, yeah, so. But, yeah, I did try others. And then I took them, I took them off my playlist because I felt like I was, I felt like I was cheating on you, Andy, to be honest. So, I thought I'd better stop. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, loyalty is a much underrated virtue. In, yeah, in I felt really bad. I started world. listening to the others. And when it weren't your two's voice, I was like, no, no, I'm not this person. I'm not going to do this. I'm not crossing this line. Who knows? I'll be sitting in a seedy hotel soon with about four podcasts all going around at the same time, listening to them all. I'm going to go down the hill, I know. So I'm going to stick. I'm going to stay loyal to the ones I know. So, but no, it's it. They've become quite addictive, especially for the long journeys. This, you know, and. No, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to him all by then. those long journeys to Italy, John. It weren't that long. It was only a day and a half, you know, it's nothing. But um, also another thing, because this is, my wife's going to be laughing because she hasn't listened to it, but she's going to love it when I tell her that I've mentioned Mrs. Cadman because we was at the same school as, as like junior school and she got the hunt with it as well. I mentioned it one time and I thought, this is why we got married. Because I was like, I was kind of trying to broach a subject without sounding like an evil little kid who didn't want to give an old lady sweets. And she was like, no. She shared the hatred. Yeah, she went, no. She says it annoyed me that she kept coming back. So, so, and I was like, you know what? I made that right choice 20 odd years ago. I said, I picked the right one here. So she's going to love the fact that I fucking hated Mrs. Cadman for what she done to us back then, having our sweets. But, and another thing, um... I keep winding my Joe up about the podcast. So really, what have you got in common with your wife? Boxing, no. Making films, no. Hatred of the dinner lady that yeah. we went to school with. Yeah, basically, she yeah. She tormented us and we both fucking hated her. But it's worked. <laughs> it's worked. But like, my Joe, he... Because um, I've been winding them up because, like, as you say, it's had quite a good what's it. And a couple of boxing shows when Joe's been with me, people have come up and gone, love the podcast. And I keep going internet superstar and he's like just shut the fuck up and I'm like yeah, it's not my words it's Neville from Norfolk's words you know what I mean and uh, then Rachel told me yesterday she says uh, Joe come in and says because well, dad's doing another one I've, I've listened to that uh, and it's actually quite good and she says but don't tell him so I was like so I was like so you know it's, it's, it, when, when your 17 year old son 
thinks you've done something pretty cool. You're not doing too badly, you know what I mean? Because usually you're not, are you? So. Well, well, if ever there was a natural for this kind of format, it is, it, it is very much you. It is oh, very you two bring you. the best out of me, to be honest. It's kind of like Morecambe and Wise. It's very much that kind of dynamic. That, that's how I like to think about yeah, it. Yeah, well. you can have the crack with him, you know, <laughs> as I have done. And then it's kind of like now we've got to talk boxing and be normal because otherwise Andy's going to tell us off. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got the right I, mean, I, think, I think I do carry that air of, you know, quiet authority with yeah, me. Yeah, no, you do. There's definitely the school teacher there, honestly. <laughs> if ever you're going to leave Sky, I'll bring one set of sweets and one only. And you can't come back and get any more. But then with Matt, you kind of get like, you know, I've seen him dance now. Oh, I thought... Uh, 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 oh, I told you. Go on, go on, go on. No, I was going to say... Um, <laughs> I thought, like, obviously when Sky offered me his job because of the podcast, I thought he'd fell out of me. I had a big load of, like, really fearsome-looking Irish guys corner me in a pub. Turns out it's the Galway branch of uh, the Samantha Mumba fan club. They were not happy about it at all, so... But well, he did actually send me a couple of photos on, on WhatsApp the other day. He managed to dig them out from somewhere of, of him with Samantha Mumba. See, people on, didn't believe me, you know. Him with Samantha Mumba on, on said night, and it, it's a... It's a brilliant photo. How drunk does he look? I haven't seen the photo. Oh, he's he's quite banged up actually from the fight. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of got his arm around her, and they're kind of holding hands as well. And he's just got this. People ridiculous. don't believe me. He's this got, is proof. He's got this unbelievable she was hanging on my every People thought that I made that up <laughs> to make you laugh. I was like, no, I just told a true fucking story and now I've got a witness no, and seen, he, he's I, normal and, and, and it's not I, Matthew I've seen McLean. photographic evidence and he's got this ridiculous shit-eating grin on his face. And, and, and is he glazed? Is he glazed as well? Yeah, fairly, but he doesn't look... Is there any photos of him hugging um, John Duddy that night as well? Yeah, because... Because that's yeah, how it ended up. Yeah, that was it. He said that's two how it ended up. He said two photos. And um, no, now I've, I'm glad because people's going to me. That never really happened. Just it, all, like, it all you, happened. You, just, you carry on. I'll just go get my phone and find it. Hang on. Yeah, we're going to get the picture now. <laughs> Do you know we're going to get? So, is she still rich and famous? Because we're <laughs> fucked if she is. It could even be bad if she's working uh, in a cafe uh, or something. I think this story's keeping her in the limelight. Yeah. Imagine if she gets on like I'm a celebrity or something on the back of uh, Macklin's Take podcast. <laughs> But she could proper get the hunt, couldn't she? She hasn't got any big brothers or anything, has she? Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. That was funny. That was one of those nights where I woke up. You only know about it because I was sober and remembered every detail. I definitely don't remember anything after two o'clock in the morning. I think I went to bed about, about 9am. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, know, I appreciate this doesn't really work for an audio format, and it's probably quite annoying for people to listen to us describe what these pictures look like. Oh. So Macklin's going to have to agree to tweet these at some point, I'm afraid. Let me have a look. He's going to have to. Look, John, look how in love there she is with me, just oh, look head at, against look my at, chest. Look at, look at <laughs> Macklin's face. Look at his face. Well, uh, that's, oh, look at you. 
Who's it? John's my witness. He was there. Do you know if ever you wanted to put smarm into I can't a... believe he's he's pulling her. She's la- these jokes aren't even funny. She's laughing at them all. Do you know if you ever and wanted to put thing... smarm into a human form? That's Matthew Macklin's face. He's just a smarmy bastard there, isn't he? The cow who got the cream. <laughs> A hundred percent, and he and does, he does follow up just below with another message. He's, only, yeah, he's only, saying saying to me that she did actually text him a few days after 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 this. Uh, did John Duddy text you? Because he was actually closer to him there, <laughs> and he and he just he he he, he didn't reply. I can't I mean, believe you know what people honestly have not believed what I, we've done. I just wanted to erase the memory of that night. It was uh, chaotic. In the no, end. it was great. It was, I've, I've got loads of nights like that with him. Never well, we will, <laughs> we will, we will, we will, yeah, we'll have to tweet out these pictures. Um, Definitely. The week that this goes out, because people, I think, don't Also, as to. well, after talking about this, if Andy Lee wants a part in one of my films, he's got one. He can just be a bad guy. He can just be a bad guy, Just, just he can just turn up, be Andy Lee. I was so, I was like, like I say, all these people go, oh, I don't get Star Trek. I was like, fuck it. It's different with Macklin. You know, fucking, because he's been on TV and all that, but I've known him since forever and I've bailed him out of so many situations. But someone like Andy Lee, who's the similar kind of on TV and all that, when they're going, oh, I love this and all that, I was, li- I was literally sitting there thinking, well, that was, I'm glad I did that just for that. But yeah, and Andy's, and you and Andy, the only two people so far who've been on twice. Uh, you're the only two. But I don't mind losing to him, Mr. Smooth. Like I say, just the way he was talking, I thought, oh, I want to. I want to cast him as a bad guy in a film. He's just got that kind of whole Bond villain thing going on, isn't he? Well, interesting times for him as well, actually. He's now part of Tyson Fury's training team. So his, his, he was diving headfirst into the training. He uh, had his first lad, didn't he? He got his win, didn't he? Yeah, that welterweight kid. He looked Paddy good. Donovan. He's got Jason Quigley as well. Uh, I think there might oh, be Quigley somebody else. Him. Yeah, I think there might be somebody else in the, in the pipeline. He's got musical chairs, isn't he, with a lot of these guys? They're just back and forwards all the time. Yeah, well, I, think that's, I think Andy's a good move for those lads. I think Paddy Donovan, very talented, good southpaw boxer as well. Um, traveller, I think Andy is the right move for him. And I think I think he's a good move for Quigley too. He'd be based in Ireland, Quigley, as opposed to travelling around, he'd be more settled and... You know, Andy Just knows the game. his podcast, I think he'll be a good coach. He's obviously a talented fighter. That doesn't always make a good coach. In fact, sometimes the opposite. No, but attention to detail. Yeah, very analytical. Yeah. And he grew up, you know, he grew up around Emmanuel Stewart. That's going to be a tick. But then listening to him speak, I just thought to myself, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he's going to be a good coach, you know. And he's a good safe poor, and they've always got plenty of tricks up the sleeve, haven't they? So, and yeah, so... Hey, do you want an interesting fact talking about Tyson Fury? It's not nothing amazing. Shakam Pitters has got the same reach as Tyson Fury. How crazy is that? Seven foot. We measured it the other day. Just thought I'd bring that up. It's, I mean, know. that is some wingspan though, isn't it? What's Seven that? foot, we measured it. Inches. That's what we're doing. It's what we do for fun in this gym. We measure each other's arms. I think mine was about three <laughs> foot two. But yeah, Shakam's got a seven foot wingspan. So... We can't stay too much longer, unfortunately, because we need to get off to uh, Kogan's corner. But, yeah. Um, any stories he comes up with that are any good, I give him him. Do not let him take credit for him. He come up for some tickets earlier and was talking about stuff that he forgot. So when he talks about Rowan Williams getting bit on the arse by a mad dog that used to be next door to the Small Eve gym, I reminded him of that. He's lucky if we had long rod, I'd spill all the stories so he had nothing to talk about. But now we had a good laugh talking about the... Oh, I wasn't a member of Small Eve gym. I wasn't good enough, that was all really good, but I used to go there a lot for sparring, so we had a good chat, so make sure that I get credit for them stories, because I reminded him of them all. Just before we go though, but one thing that 
I'm hoping will happen when we... Um, you want to get in one of my films? At some point, John, but that wasn't what I was going to ask. We, I was hoping when we, we decided that we were going to go and chat to Sean and a load of other Birmingham pros, which is a really good this boxing life kind of kind of conversation. I thought this is this is going to be ripe for a load of Macklin stories because you know it's just such fertile ground. But I, th- I think what might happen is I'm going to be met with a kind of Birmingham boxing mafia omerta where everybody is kind of vowed some code code of silence, but. You know, you're perfectly happy to, to, to spill no, the beans. What you've got to realise there, the people that we are going to be in on the talk, strategically or selected, actually wouldn't know that part of me. No, they wouldn't. They know you as like a nice young man who was a yeah. real prospect. Don't they? <laughs> but John, but John, clue. Yeah, well, exactly, not exactly. But do, do you have, I mean, I should have warned you about this really. They don't do, know do about you, my dark past. <laughs> do, you, do, do you have a Macklin story? Uh, uh, loads, but they're, from they're, the they're too explicit can... and never to be repeated again. Honestly, and he's not even lying. Anything that's half interesting would might get us in trouble. And I'm not even joking there. You know, like, I might lose him his job at Sky. And I'm not yet... Might get me arrested. Might get you arrested for knowing us. Knowing him, basically. <laughs> not me. Not me. Nothing to do. I'm going to... What I'm going to do, I'm going to send you one that you can bring up to him. I'm going to have a good think that the, the legal... Implica- I'm still worrying that we're going to get a letter off Samantha Mumba. Now I'm glad we've got a picture because... And like, I'm waiting for Wally Dixon to try and sue me or something if he's down on his luck. Because I didn't realise, having the crack on air, quite how many people give people jip. So I want to make sure that we pick the right one because now they're... Um, no, because you got to remember, up until a certain stage, he was like this super clean-living athlete, went to college, then all of a sudden, he turned into this geezer who turned up drunk in his pants, demanding beer at five o'clock. Then he's a fucking Sky Sports commentator. It's kind of like, I bet if he was medically checked, he's a schizophrenic or something. <laughs> so, you know, it's really... And, and like I say, some of them, it's like, yeah... You, you, you got to think of the families. We can't mention <laughs> some things. You got to. Plus, I'm proper scared of Mrs. Macklin. You know, I've got. I go around the house and she's lovely and gives me a cup of tea. I don't want the wrath. And like Matthew's her little prince. You know what I mean? So he's Irish li- mums. Yeah. So I am a bit worried, but I'll think of something and I'll send it in anonymously. No, do do that. That, that seems like a good way. Yeah, right, how Andy keeps trying to dig the dirt on you. Yeah, do you think we should find someone in? <laughs> I've got There's loads of someone out there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be something. It's not I'm sure fair. I've got his wife on Twitter. I bet we can get a picture of him in women's clothing or uh, something. Yeah, she, 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 she would happily. She's very indiscreet, my wife, when it comes to... Yeah, right, let's, let's me, so. dig some dirt up on him because I don't like how he keeps trying to... Let's, let me, let's, let's, let's name. leave the dirt where it is. <laughs> let's throw, we're all throwing shit here. It's not much fun. We all get covered no, in it. Just, let's, leave, let's leave that shit where it is. <laughs> okay, on that I'm note, we will, we will have to leave it there. John, it's been great fun, um, as always. And we'll be back, definitely. Uh, we'll probably catch you on the show soon as well. Get and down on the 8th or the 22nd if you're not working. Seamus is always February. Yes, Seamus is always at the shows. Matthew usually working, but if you're not working, we come along and 8th. see what we're up we're to. We're in Sheffield on the eighth, but on the twenty second. If there's nothing, come actually. along. There's a bit of food and everything. We'll feed you. Yeah, Matthew will come now. Could probably do the twenty second. Yeah, we could probably do the twenty second. And it's not yeah. a bad show either. There's, there's some good fights on there. Okay, wicked. Um, all right. So, well, anyway, normal things before we go. If you if you could get onto iTunes and. Uh, and give us a rate, subscribe, and all of that. That would be that would be really really useful. Thanks for everybody everybody for their for their feedback. John just has something to say. One last thing, 
Always, always got to have the last. No, no, this is just this, 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 this is for you guys. A friendship <laughs> thing, yeah. Uh, likes and retweets on Andy and Matt's uh, version of this. There will be two VIP tickets to the February twenty second. You have to like or retweet, and the two guys here will pick at random somebody to have two VIP tickets. The guy who won it last time. Come out and had a photo with Sam Eggington, remember? Yeah, that went well, didn't it? Yeah, he came out, he met him backstage. Yeah, any the moon. kind of competition just turns into a total nightmare. But right, so anyway, right. you two okay. guys, your first, re- your first, when you put it out there, you pick someone, low likes or retweets, and there's two VIP, VIP tickets for the 22nd show at Aston Villa. Okay, superb. I, I was actually told um, by somebody that doing this kind of thing is against Twitter rules, but we don't care about that. So, you know, Fucking just we just really spoke matter. about a Hollywood superstar chasing a drunken Irish geezer for a date. We don't give a fuck about Twitter rules. <laughs> On that note, thanks very much for listening, everybody. We will catch you again next time. Someone sneaking round a corner Could that someone be Mac the knife There's a tugboat Down by the river, don't you know Where a cement bag Just drooping on down Oh, that cement is just It's there for the way to dare Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town Sports Social Podcast Network.